But I, I often have to remind myself, so many entrepreneurs have never set foot in a corporate environment. So they literally do not know what it looks like. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Campfire Capitalism Podcast, and I'm your host, Desmond Dixon, and I'm here with the queen herself, my fellow co-host, Miss Heather Stafford. What's up, Heather? What's up, everybody? Boom, boom, boom. Today, we have some smooth operations going down with a special guest. She is from Atlanta, Georgia. Her name is Alicia Butler-Pierre. And let me kind of give you guys some background and formally introduce her because she has a lot to offer us today in terms of a ton of value. So um, she's on a quest to revolutionize the way small business operate. She does that by speaking, coaching, writing, lecturing, and podcasting. She's the founder and CEO of Equilibria, Inc., and the best-selling offer of Behind the Facade. The world's first published book on business infrastructure. She hosts the weekly business infrastructure <laughs> podcast, which ranks in the world's top 2%. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> With, she's an adjunct uh, instructor of advanced lean principles at Purdue University and operations management at Nicholas College. Did I bug you that, Nicholas? Nichols. Nichols. Boom. Nichols boom. College. It's been a while since <laughs> I've been in college, guys. But she's a chemical engineer turned entrepreneur. She's advised, designed, and optimized processes for organizations, including Coca-Cola, Show Oil, the Library of Congress, and the Home Depot. Thank you so much for joining us today. Desmond and Heather, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. Are you kidding me? When I saw your name pop up, I was like, oh, 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 I have to look. <laughs> oh, do you? I do. It's right Really? Oh my gosh. Okay. I'll have to ask you all about that later. <laughs> like, oh, I know her. I know. Oh, wow. I was super wow. excited. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Small world. Yeah. This is beautiful. I'm a this fan. Beautiful. I'm just a fan, you know? <laughs> you. Awesome. So um, before we even get into any like, you know, smooth operations, you know, just kind of give us an idea of like, how did a chemical engineer become an entrepreneur? I know, crazy, right, Desmond? Um, so I, maybe I'll, I'll, tr I'll attempt to give a Cliff Notes version of how that all went down. And I'm sure you and Heather can probably attest to this. I remember when I was working at my very first job outside of college as a chemical engineer, and in the it, it was at a manufacturing facility, and every unit within that facility was assigned an accountant. And at the end of every month, that accountant would, would go to your unit and have this thick stack of reports and you'd all get together in this conference room and you'd kind of go through the highlights of these reports. Well, interesting, I was going to say it was like she may as well have been reading Greek. You're actually in Greece, Desmond. So. Right. But, but my, my point is, I, I didn't understand the language of business. And because I didn't have that fundamental understanding, I also didn't understand the connection of our day-to-day -day production schedules and how that was so dependent on fluctuations in the market. I just thought it was a bunch of managers being erratic, right? You know, one day you're operating at full capacity, the next day you're operating at half capacity, and then the day after that you might be asked to shut down altogether only to operate at full capacity again next week. So what I did is I decided to go back to business school. So I was still working full-time during the day, going to business school at night, pursuing my MBA. And I have to tell you, Desmond and Heather, it opened up a whole new world for me. It was, it was literally that missing link. So I had this technical knowledge, but I didn't understand how it all related to commerce. And commerce is, you know, commercial, you know, business is just universal. And I didn't see anything the same way. I'll never forget one day. This is when I was still living. I'm from Louisiana, by the way. So I was living in New Orleans. And I'll never forget one day I was I was walking inside of a Target store. 
And I just paid attention to the color scheme, the logo, the branding, the customer service, the layout of the store, things that would have normally had been background for me. But because of what I was learning in business school at the time, in some of my marketing classes, it just all of a sudden became forefront. So, so that's how my transition, I guess, if that's what you want to call it, from being a purely technical engineering person to more on the business side of things. That's really how that transition started to happen. And eventually, I just had this gut feeling, this, this intuitive thought. It was nagging. It would not go away. It was persistent, like you need to get out. Get out quick, fast, and in a hurry, Alicia. And it was around September, late August, early September, 2004. I abruptly quit my job. It was crazy. And by that December, I graduated with my MBA. The following January, 2005, I put my house up for sale in New Orleans. It sold within the week. And I relocated like a dummy, um, or I thought, you know, people thought I was a dummy at the time, but I relocated to Atlanta, Georgia, a city where I literally knew one person. And that one person that I knew was one of my high school classmates, and he was leaving Atlanta as I was coming in. Um, but here's the thing, Desmond and Heather, six months later, Hurricane Katrina happened. So I, I love to share that story to let people know sometimes we have these, these thoughts, these intuitive thoughts, these gut feelings, and we can't explain it. And yes, people will think we're absolutely crazy. I had a very comfortable life in New Orleans. I owned two homes. I had a very well-paying job. I was single, carefree, and, and you know, living in a party city. I, I mean, I was having the time of my life, but I could not shake that feeling that I needed to leave. And it just wouldn't go away. And I'm so glad and so grateful that I listened to that, that instinct, because when I look at where I am now and how much I've evolved, not only as a person, but just in all of the knowledge that I've acquired since then, you know, it, it, it almost gives me chills to think of what the person that I am now compared to the person that I was 16, 17 years ago when I first left New Orleans. So, um, so that's a, a, a hopefully a Cliff Notes version of how that transition from chemical engineer. Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, I didn't mention how I started my business. So I got here to Atlanta. I'm thinking, wow, this is like the land of milk and honey. You know, all of these corporate corporations that are headquartered here, there's Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, UPS, Chick-fil-A, the Home Depot. And I thought for sure that these companies would be beating down my door to hire me. And that did not happen. <laughs> that did not happen because guess what? There are a lot of really smart people here in Atlanta. And what seemed to be about two months of endless job searching, applying for jobs online and not hearing anything back. I said, wait a minute, this is, this is driving me crazy. So for the same amount of time, effort and energy that I was spending, looking for an opportunity to work for someone else, I redirected that same time, effort, and energy into creating an opportunity for myself. And that is literally how my entrepreneurial journey really took off was I came here. I thought I was, uh, as the, the old people used to say where I grew up, I was smelling myself. I thought, you know, <laughs> I thought who wouldn't want to hire me? And um, turned out that uh, uh, quite a few people did not think I was hireable for whatever reason. And so I instead created my own company and I, I never looked back. So that's the story. Oh my God, I love this. Okay, so first and <laughs> foremost, um, yes, I'm a huge fan. Huge fan. Um, and I came across you um, for I while I was doing some research um, to do a TED talk, and it was because oh wow no one no one was talking about the the actual logistical infrastructure of business. Mm. How do you, how do you actually snap the Legos together? 
It's not like you can go this way. It's, it's not the ethereal woo-woo coaching consult, like the shit, the shit that you hear online. And I was like, <laughs> I need, I, I need a relative, like, I need something, a relative reference for this. And the coach or like the company that I was working with, that was trying to put me on a TED stage or because I had done a couple of TEDx talks. Oh, and they wow. were like, we really want to put you on a TED stage, but I don't think this topic, I was like, I don't care. Figure out how to make the topic work. Like, this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about anything else. People are out there wasting money, acting like idiots, not building a business in the right damn order. I am done. And that's how, I, that's how I came, I came across your book. One of my clients was like, Hey, you know, I send you something, pulls it off of her shelf, sticks it in the mail, mails it to me. She's like, this may be helpful for you. And I get it like two days later. I was like, where did you, who is this? She's like, I've never met her. I picked it up. I just oh, picked it wow. up. It like an exciting book to read. So I bought it. I was like, that's it. She's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, wow. so 60 degrees of separation. Your book came through to my hands through somebody who had never known you. Wow. But just decided this might be an interesting read. And look at where we are. Now we're here together. Oh my gosh. Okay, here now. I have chills, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're an engineer though, because honestly, um, one of the like, in the story of the companies that I've built is that I, my little brother is a, a chemical mechanical engineer. Mm. Um, and I went into CSLAS. So I was in the software tech side. Um, and was the best hire that I ever made. And he was the best partner that ever, that I ever had because of the way engineers think. Engineers Mm -hmm. think about things logically. Like there's no, there's no, there's no whimsical in it. It's where the numbers, how are we getting there? That doesn't work. What are you tweaking? Where are the numbers? How are we getting there? Repeat. And he had the tenacity to rinse and repeat a couple of concepts that we ended up launching that were probably some of the best products I've ever launched. Wow. What a testament to engineers. Engineers are the best. They're, they're the best. As long as you can deal with some of the, the brass, the, 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 I know what you mean. I'm warm and fuzzy about it. Like my brother super lovey with me as a person and as my little brother, but he was like, no, like no numbers continue. And I was like, can we talk about, he's like, I don't care how you feel numbers continue. <laughs> it inevitably it fueled one of the things um, that I ended up saying on stage one day. I was like, your feelings don't matter in my, in your business or mine. I was like, so if you take mm. your feelings, you can set them in any cute little box that you want, but your feelings do not dictate any nominal figure in your business. So let it go. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Powerful. So testament to engineers and awesomeness. Yes, I am a big, I am a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) I am a big fan of, of the structure and the systematic approach to building the business in the right order. It's a lot of what I absolutely. The only thing I consult on that standardization, um, standardization, automation and scaling. So that's the side of the cookie that I play in. Oh, awesome. This, this could be the start of a very beautiful relationship. <laughs> I know. know. I'm like, oh, I just have my new best friend. <laughs> so, so, so while we're on this, the, the, the topic of cookies, let's talk about, let's, let's talk about being a smooth operator, right? Just <laughs> okay. on the side of operation cookies, right? So, so, so Miss, so Miss Pierre, Yes. What does being a smooth operator mean to you? A smooth operator to me is someone who, as as Heather has alluded to already, first recognizes the importance of operations and logistics and building things in the right order and having this mindset of we might not ever attain perfection, but as long as we can always have this journey of continuous improvement so that things are at ease, so that things flow. Being a smooth operator is all about having things in place so that information and work just flows smooth, not rocky and turbulent. Think of when you're on an airplane, right? 
And whenever you're going through turbulence, and it happens, it happens in business. It will always happen. But what's different is how quickly can you return to that smoother, more laminar flow? That's the difference. Yeah, that's the difference between a company that has an appreciation for operations versus one that does not. And I think what's so important about what Heather was just saying is it's sad that, and I'm going to say something and I've been chastised in the past for saying it this way, but I'm, I'm literally repeating what other people have told me. Well, operations just isn't sexy. It's just not sexy, Alicia. Why do we, we don't want to do a TED talk about operations. Nobody's going to show up. But I think if we start, if, if there are more Desmonds and Heathers out there in the world and we start to introduce people to these things, they will embrace it. Operations seems scary. It seems complex, incredibly detailed. Some people don't like digging into the details. Um, but I think if we can find creative ways to get people more engaged, get them more involved, operations can start to become, have a little bit more shine um, as, as much as the topics of social media and marketing and branding has. Yeah, that's the funny thing. So I mean, we're going to play into this because I think you'll find this amusing. Um, because my background, like I got, um, I have an undergrad in philosophy. No joke. Wow. Don't ask me wow. what I thought I was doing with that one. Got a minor in international business right along with it. Definitely way too many credits. And then I went to art school. Wow. I got into the world of entrepreneurship by accident. I stumbled into it during the school project. Mm. Yep. But I got my master's in, I got an MFA in graphic design and web development with a specialty in UX and UI. Because wow. my fascination was the human condition. Like, mm. Why do people do what they do? When do they do it? How can we tell when they're going to do it? And what can we do to react to it? And then when you react, what happens then? It's just like tiny little, um, the, oh, what are they called? Like the volcano thing that you do in, in like science class when you're a kid. It's like the tiny little eruption, more baking soda. And it's like, boom. Mm-hmm. So I obsessed over how people did or why people did what they did. And I got into the design and development because it happened to be a talent of mine. It was wow. a natural talent. Art just came and I got bored really fast and went back to school and became a full stack developer because I would design something that was supposed to act or react to people a certain way. And then it wasn't developed the way I wanted it to be. Mm. So I just went and acquired the skill set. But you're looking at people and people are like, well, I don't want to, they, they see half of the picture. It's so often reason why people don't think operations is sexy is because they're only seeing half the picture. Like I have people, they'll give me some of the grandest examples. I want it to act like this. I'm like, do you want to see what their day looks like? Really? <laughs> because their day looks like fucking reading through reports. Like, I'm sorry that you want to post for social media pictures all day long. That's not what business looks like. You have to work from the most precise, perfect, absolutely indescribable, best execution ever of of the end and go backwards. And you have to clean up every step of the way and then try to run the process forward and see if it works. In other words, you have to be willing to put in the work, right? Willing to put in the... you cannot, there's no way to buy your way out. You can't buy your way out of um, what we call, what is blood, sweat, and tears. Right. So, so true. You cannot and that's, buy sweat equity. You that's right. And, and that's, that's really the story behind the title of my book, because the main title is behind the facade. And, and the whole point, Desmond, um, just so you'll know, the idea is there, there just seems to be this, this competition almost for marketing and operations. Who's getting the lion's share of a typical entrepreneur's attention? And obviously we all know it's marketing to the the detriment of operations. So what happens is, and I'm not saying a facade is a bad thing, by the way, 
But the facade represents all of the marketing and sales and business development and publicity and promotional activity that you've put into building your podcast, promoting your book, building your business, drawing customers to you. So you've you've made it look really nice. You've packaged it nicely enough to attract all these people. But what happens, Desmond, when those people come to you and then all of a sudden you don't have the operational infrastructure to meet that demand. So the business has come to you and then you don't have any way of servicing those customers. So that's why I'm saying, let's go behind the veneer, behind the veil, behind the curtain. Remember in the Wizard of Oz, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he he projected this image of being this, this, all-powerful, mighty, larger-than-life wizard. And then Toto, the little dog, happens to uh, pull back that curtain, and he's just a regular person like anyone else. Yeah. And so the, the argument that I'm making in the book is, if you're going to take the trouble, if you're going to go through the trouble and, and the investment of building up this facade, at least make sure you have the operations to back it up. Make sure that your op- your business operates as good on the inside as it looks on the outside. Imagine you have this shiny golden apple, very attractive, but the minute you slice that apple open, it's rotten on the inside. Don't have your operations suffer because you just you just you just ignored it and you t- took a back seat to it. You don't you don't want you don't want to be bothered with the details. Yeah, and then I the details come to bite you. They will. Well, and it's at it at this day and age, like we have we have something at this day and age that no one ever had before. No one ever. I one of my very good friends from here, and mind you, I'm in Idaho. Okay, little behind the. the <laughs> The Star Trek generation. <laughs> <laughs> Her dad looked at me at dinner about two weeks ago and he goes, so you get paid for what again? And I said, do you want to ask me that differently? He goes, you get paid to talk to people? I said, yeah, I do. I mean, have you, have you met these people? I said, what do you mean? He's like, I mean, have you shaken their hand? And I just busted up laughing. I was like, Oh my God, we have something at our fingertips. that gives us access to the world at large. And the truth is, is that it widened the, it widened the street for how many different options people have. Like if you want to buy a hat, I love your hat, by the way, you can go to one of 25, 30,000 retailers to buy a hat. Who are you going to buy it from? Yep. Some people are going to go based off just numbers. Where can I get the precise hat with the precise like type of material and and at the best price, um, ship the quickest. Okay, great. Some people, I, I open up my four favorite websites every single time. Mm. I wonder if they have, I wonder if they carry something. This brand does matter. And community does matter. And the connection to your client does matter. I also know that as a, a good, for instance, like my, the return, if you've ever tried to return something to banana Republic, don't go there. <laughs> it is a disaster. That's for the listeners. Even if don't it's go not there. your fault, it's still a disaster <laughs> to try to return a pair of pants to them. If you ordered them online. <laughs> and that right. I mean, that right there, they could have the only of something and I would opt out of it because of that. Mm-hmm. Because the structure behind how they handle clients doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. doesn't work. This this definitely goes into the next thing I wanted to bring up, which was the backtrack a bit, Heather, you're on track in terms of like how operations connect to brand and like feel. Honestly, mm-hmm. what's crazy what you just said, Miss Miss Pierre, is the fact that I'm, as being a sales guy, I'm a sales guy, right? I used to have this story. I used to get into an ops back in corporate, right? It was a thing, right? It was like ops team, sales team internally. Cause like we all, like we sell things and sometimes like our reputation in the next order is on the line of it being delivered and selling in yeah. all these different sectors and industries. I've learned that personally, 
a great operation makes selling so much easier because the customer experience is so amazing. Like operations is a salesperson's best friend. Yes. You know, Desmond, I had a client years ago who said, you know, the sales team, you know, they sell the dream, but we in operations deal with the nightmare. So because they weren't synchronized at the time, she was like, they sell the dream and we deal with the nightmare. But to your point, it doesn't have to be that way. When you are truly synchronized and there aren't silos and you aren't operating independently of each other, you understand and appreciate the interconnectedness of everyone throughout the organization. That's when things flow, right? Um, and, And to your point, In operations, there is such a focus on customer experience, starting with voice of customer. Just because you think something is great or you might want to make a particular tweak to a product or service, is that what your customer, does your customer want that? Did the customer ask for that? Or are you doing that just because you think it's something that the customer would want? And a lot of times... Yes. A lot of times, yeah. A lot of times we fall into that trap. We do things because we think, oh, isn't this really cool? And and no offense, Heather, but I the tech industry is notorious for that kind oh, of thing. God. Like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna change. We know this works fine right now, but we're just gonna spice things up a little bit and change the way you navigate to get to this, or we'll change oh. this button, or we'll change the algorithm and not tell anybody. Um, <laughs> no, no offense taken. I am I, firmly against it, just like everybody else. Honestly, and I sit on development teams where I'm like, "Why are you doing?" There, do you have a complaint that backs this up? Yes, and so that's it, are you putting this into a product because? And I love them all, love them all. But the your creator, your founder, your visionary is like, "Oh, I want it to be like this." That's an image and an ego problem. For any product, any service, anything. Like if you are changing something, you better be changing it because you have a legitimate, lengthy amount of customer data that says this is not one person, but hundreds of people. And that this is going to make the product serve the market better. Absolutely. So remember remember the whole debacle many years ago when Coke introduced new Coke and it was a total disaster. That is a classic, classic example of introducing something that nobody asked for, right? And when you think about all of the money, the time, all of those resources were wasted and they had to pull the entire product, the, the entire product. So, you know, also in operations, for those who are listening and, and watching us right now, you, you may have heard of Lean Six Sigma. And Heather, I don't know if this happens with you or, or Desmond, I'm sure it happens to you as well. But people hear that word or they hear that phrase rather, and they're intrigued. They're like, oh, what? maybe we could do Lean Six Sigma, but they have no appreciation for what it is and the fact that it's, it's work, it's work. A lot of work. It's a lot of work. And yes, you can dramatically turn things around in your company and do more with less, but you have to be willing to put in the work. It's not, it's not a, um, an overnight uh, philosophy or, or pr- set of principles. Lean is probably more palatable, honestly, to American companies than Six Sigma is because Six Sigma is really getting into the data. But the reason I bring that up is because from a Lean Six Sigma standpoint, we're, again, we're constantly talking about voice of customer and Lean Six Sigma is a process improvement methodology. So whenever you're thinking about tinkering with or or tweaking a, a product or service, Nope. Before you invest any real money or other resources, ask your customers, is this something you would want? Or really pay attention to the feedback that they're giving you. Read those customer reviews. People will always tell you what they want. The question is, are you listening to them and paying attention? Right? People are always going to tell you what they want. 
I'm just going to need you to like just walk into every door and have this conversation with all of them. And, and you know, it's funny, uh, Heather, before we started recording, I was telling Desmond, I, I've been listening to, to some of your podcast episodes and I mentioned to Desmond, I knew we would get along right away when he mentioned in one of the episodes how much he loves Notion. And I'm a huge fan of Notion also. And I always, whenever I tell people about Notion, I'm like, it's great. It's a phenomenal tool. But when it comes to customer support, it, it's, it's not the best. But I will say this for Notion. They just rolled out a new support feature. So if you go into your Notion workspace now, you'll notice a question mark in a, inside of a circular, like a circular question mark icon in the lower right corner of, of any of your workspaces. And if you click that, you can now start to chat or submit a question. But the reason I'm bringing the, them up as an example is to, is to show how they have finally listened to all of their customers over the past few years who've said, this is great, I love it. But you know, when you tell me to just go and look at your YouTube channel and, and do a search out of your hundreds of videos, and I'm just trying to figure out how to do this one tiny little thing, I don't have time to look through 50, 50 videos to try to figure no. out how to do this one thing. Can you please just tell me, oh, we don't, you know, we just don't have the staff to be able to help you. But now I think they finally addressed that. And so kudos to them for really paying attention to all of this feedback that I'm sure they've received over the years. And now they've, they've oh, done yeah. something about it. Yeah. They received enough feedback that they pulled the development team together for it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, now, so something I've been wanting to actually real quick um, that I think would be awesome is we already talked about, we addressed the sinking of sales and operations, right? We could probably go to a whole episode of like how to do that. <laughs> what I want to talk about, which is super interesting, which every entrepreneur probably listening to our podcast, everyone probably goes through is the growth, the growing pains, right? Because mm -hmm. most businesses die, not from starvation, because if you never got business in the first place and so you really wasn't a business, you're just an idea, right? If you got business, like you got transaction, people gave you money. You don't die from usually starvation. You die from indigestion, right? You oh, I love that, Desmond. flow issues, fulfillment issues and all that. Right. So, you know, what are some tips or insights that you might have for the audience in relationship to like having your back end in place of being a smooth operator as you're like trying to grow the business, right. During, during a, a between plateaus, so to speak. Right. One of the first tips that I, I would like to share with everyone is Start to put on your economist hat. And what I mean by that is really start understanding supply and demand. Are you able to meet the demand? Now, what happens in the law of supply and demand, your supply is, let's say if you're a service-based business, for example, your supply is literally your, usually your labor, your knowledge, your consulting. And let's say you're able to, Reasonably, if you are a solopreneur or a one woman, one, one man operation, you might be able to reasonably, let's say, complete three projects within a month or, or work on three projects, you know, simultaneously throughout, throughout any given month. And because you've done such a good job with business development and sales and marketing and promotion and branding, You've attracted enough clients into your pipeline to where you always are, the demand is also right at, you know, three new clients a month. So that is a situation, which rarely happens, by the way, in real life, but that is a, a situation where you have that equilibrium, right? Your, your, the amount that is demanded equals the amount that you are able to supply, all right? But let's say you have a situation where you happen to post something and it goes viral, whether it's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Now, all of a sudden, your personal capacity as one person in your business is still three projects a month, but the demand now has increased to 10 clients, 10 new people that are coming in every month. 
Do you turn that business away? Or do you start to expand your reach? Do you start to build your team? That's something you have to really think about. And what can also happen is some people might say, oh, wow, this is great. 10 clients. And they think they can, they can supply that with still just, just them working as, as that solopreneur. And what's going to happen? It's not sustainable. And they may be able to keep up with that. Ex exactly, implosion. They may be able to keep up with that, maybe for a few months, maybe even a year. But you will, you will burn out. That flame will burn out so fast. And before you know it, your business fails, not because you didn't have enough business, but because you had too much. And because you did not invest in the business infrastructure, meaning you didn't invest in the right, you didn't build your team. And as you built your team, you didn't make sure that processes were documented. You didn't make sure that you, you were leveraging the right technologies. That is how your business can fail if you are not really keeping an eye on that supply and demand. And even uh, another point that I should, should mention, a, a strategy often is, okay, well, we have this increase in demand. I know I, I still need a little bit more time to hire more people. So I'm going, to, I'm going to raise my price. Hopefully that will stifle the demand. That'll turn some people away. But what if it doesn't? What if people say, I don't care? More often than not, it doesn't. Yeah, 20% increase. I don't care. I still want it, Desmond. I, still I doubled my prices. I doubled my prices when I when I hit this problem for the very first time. Like my first company, second company, first problem. Doubled my prices and nobody batted an eye. Isn't a, that interesting? Means my, that means my pricing structure was exceptionally bad. Check one. I was like, what, 20 years old? Yeah. Not even old enough to drink yet. But there's a, there's a tactic to solve this. There isn't. There right. absolutely isn't. When you start a business, before you even stick your toe out of the door, you create two plans. Oh, shit, this failed. <laughs> oh, shit, this got too big. Yes. If you have, if you have both of your oh, shits in your back pocket, then you can walk out the door. If you don't, don't bother walking out. I like that. Contingency, right? Contingency plans. Um, because... People only want to, they only want to plan for the worst. They're like, well, I have a plan in case this fails. I'm like, congratulations. Do you have a plan in case somebody smacks you in the face and 5,000 people are standing at your door? No. You need That's to bet true. both ways. That's true. People are missing. That is if very you don't true. bet both ways, you'll screw yourself either way. Very true. Very, very, very true. So, so yes, Desmond, get, getting back to your original question, that that I would say is one of the first things is, is just having a fundamental understanding of what is your bandwidth or the bandwidth of your team as a collective. And as Heather was saying, if do you have a plan if that balance gets out of order, which it will happen, which is a great thing, especially if, if the scales are tipping to where you have even more demand coming in. Okay, this is great. So that means now we have, hopefully you have the capital or you, you know, the, you, or you can get access to capital, the additional capital that you need to add even more people to the team. If it means relocating into a larger space so that everybody can work comfortably and pr as productively as possible, does it mean upgrading from Notion to SharePoint? Does it mean upgrading, you know, investing in certain equipment, investing in certain type of machinery or furniture? Oh God, I love it. That's what scale looks like. And I think, I think all of us, we've had the experience of also being in corporate environments. But I, I often have to remind myself, so many entrepreneurs have never set foot in a corporate environment. So they literally do not know what it looks like. They don't I never know. Did. They, yeah, they and don't the know. Thing, yeah. The, uh, there's so many of them. They haven't done, they haven't worked in the corporate environment. We've, we've capped the, um, we've crested the hill on like m millennials in the workplace. Like 
Mm. So many of them started off in remote positions, started off using technology. They started off in working in a different way than most of us did. Like I didn't technically, yeah, I, I worked sort of in corporate for a little bit, very, very briefly in finance and very in one very small area, but I never had to interact in the big, like I, I was in the military for nine years. Oh, wow. That taught, that's where the structure came from. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was, I was a little bit lost and a little bit sideways and very much a wanderer. And I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do. So I'm not going to go to college yet. My dad was like, okay, well, at least you're not wasting my money. I was like, mm. no, I don't know what I'm doing. He was like, figure it out. And so I traveled for a summer and I came back and I was like, yeah, nope. Going to boot camp. He's like, why? I was like, because I don't, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. No wow. idea. What I'm doing, but I'll be back. And I did nine years and I loved every minute of it. Wow. But Good I mean, they taught me to do my own laundry because I didn't know how to do that, let alone like the corporate infrastructure. Like I was, we were talking about this the other day with a client. I was like, listen, I was like, you look at this and, and I get that you want this to look like where you came from, but a startup and a new concept brand at startup will never look like a corporation. Mm. You need to meet in the middle, build all the ducks, realize you're trying to build ducks that are five years down the road. I'm (laughs) sorry. You cannot have an HR manual that big when you're like six months of the concept, you're not even launched yet. I need you to calm down. Like the opposite side of the spectrum is also true. Too much of anything is never a good thing. Mm. And you know, something else that might be worth mentioning, and I talk about this in my book, is there's a difference between being a founder and a CEO. The founder, you're rolling up your sleeves, you're building it, this is your passion. You're liter- literally taking idea to, you know, from idea and conception to actually standing up this business. It's your baby. Mm-hmm. Once it has gotten to a certain point, and let's say your company can go public, do you have the same skill set as a corporate CEO? We look at people like Mark Zuckerberg. He's an anomaly. Okay, there are very few people who actually start something from the ground up and can act. And, and Jeff Bezos is a, is another anomaly, I would say. But there are very few people who can start up the business from scratch and take it to the heights that those types of companies are at, because it requires a completely different shift in, in your, your ability to lead, your mindset. You, you oh, no longer, yeah, you, you're no longer getting involved in the day-to-day technical things. And, and more, than, more likely than not, you start a business because you love doing whatever your expertise, whatever your core expertise is in, you want to build a business doing more of that. But what yeah. happens when, yeah, you, you have to shift from, okay, as much as I love basket weaving, if I want to really grow this business and take it to the level that I know it can go in, I'm going to have to leave. I can't be involved in basket weaving. I have to do more of the business development. I need to be on the golf course. I need to be at the t- on the tennis court, you know, hobnobbing and rubbing elbows and going to these, these fancy business club meetings and, and <laughs> making things happen. You know what I mean, right? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. You can't be stuck in the workshop tinkering around making baskets, You'll never grow. You'll never scale it to where you can. Now, oh. it's also worth pointing out, you may not want, you may want a lifestyle type business. You may not want to grow bigger and that's fine. But I think as, as you were both mentioning earlier, you have to know that what's the end game. Know what the end game is when you're going into your business. My end game is to sell, Right. Um, because I know I don't, I don't want the stress and the strain of dealing with a much larger company. I don't, I don't want that. (laughs) No, I know that. I already know that about myself. I do not want it. Okay. But can I build this to a point where it becomes attractive to another company and they would be willing to buy it out? Oh, it's so fun when you do too. Mm. (laughs) 
oh, 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 it gets, it gets so juicy right about that time where it's like, hey, have you ever thought about selling? And you're like, uh huh. <laughs> I pieced apart my verticals in my last company to do just that. Wow. We, we actually segregated apart five, five verticals and sold wow. three of them. Yep. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. And that's not a, Heather's making it seem like, Oh yeah, you know, just stood up the verticals, separated them. So no, that is no, work. that is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of time. It's a lot of thinking. And some of the, some of the things that you have to make decisions on are, are decisions you're I don't know if anybody's prepared to make them. I mean, mm-hmm. we had to make decisions on, on some of the branding and mind you funny story, but the visual branding, I hated every bit of it. Absolutely hated it, but it was what, it was what the, it was what the customer wanted. It was what the ideal client loved mm-hmm. when they all went in on it. They, they liked something that I could not stand. I was like, <laughs> okay, fine. we'll keep it. This is horrible. Nobody ever asked me how I feel about this branding in public. <laughs> I was mortified. I was like, that is, it just it wasn't my style. And again, founder, like, it isn't about you, it's about who you serve. Mm-hmm. And I had somebody who I had a great amount of respect for, who I, I loved and trusted, and had been a very good friend and a mentor, asked me, like, are you willing to sell like your whole book on the marketing side? Like, all your marketing mm. and paid ad- will you sell all of your marketing and paid advertising? But will you sell the whole book? And will you sell me rights to your branding? And I was like, it was a moment. But it's kind of like it's kind of like letting your kid go to college. You're like, uh, mm. I can't take this back after I say right, it. Right, right. Yeah, it's a lot. Even if it, there's a lot that goes into it, it's a lot of work. And selling a company is definitely it's it's no small feat. It's interesting. That's right. Oh my god, it's so enticing. I was like we can try this. Sure. Yeah. And then there's, there's also hostile takeovers, right? There, there are some, some stories out there. Um, and if I could just plug maybe a couple of movies and even TV shows, um, have you all seen founder, the story about McDonald's? Mm-hmm. That's a really good one. Um, perfect example of you have this Slick salesman, no offense, Desmond, um, who comes on the scene in the form of Ray Kroc. And he's like, hey, you guys have a great thing going here. I can help you take this to the next level. And one brother was apprehensive and rightfully so. And the other was like, yeah, we want to scale. So you just have to make sure you do your due diligence, do your homework, because it's it's exactly what you just said, Heather. You're 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 giving your baby away, you know, you're, or you have to let your baby go so that that baby can go on to college and become a fully functioning adult. Adult. And, <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's not, it's not an easy thing to do because no, it the emotional investment and the emotional connection that you have to it is, is very real. And it's, it's not an easy thing to, to just let that go. Especially no, if you have many years. Right. Yeah. Oh man. Mm. So before we wrap up, okay, before we wrap mm-hmm. up, okay. we got to ask this. We have to, we, we, we have to ask you this, Miss Pierre. Okay. What is some easy, quick, inexpensive tools or something that you can leave with our audience that they can, you know, download Implement. and sign up for today that can help them with their operations? Glad you asked because... So when I don't laugh, and Heather, this might sound familiar if you if you read this particular uh, chapter in the book, but I have found that using tools as simple as stick figures and index cards are so powerful in getting here. Heather's raising her, her arms here. Um, it's so, so powerful. So if I may, I know we're running out of time here, but I just want to go through this really quickly. So imagine you get yourself and anyone else who's a part of your team together in the same room at the same time, preferably in person if you can. If not, you can certainly do this remotely. But start to brainstorm all of the activities that you all perform in the company, no matter how mundane, no matter how complex. And eventually what I would 
encourage you to do is to actually write a task or activity onto different index cards. And I'm holding up here, for those of you who don't have the benefit of seeing me right now, I just have some, some index cards that I'm holding up here hypothetically. So we have uh, A2, A3, and C1. So just imagine these represent individual tasks that you perform in your company. When you go through this rigorous brainstorming exercise, don't be surprised if you have 200, 300 plus different index cards. Again, each representing a unique activity that is performed in your company. Here's the other thing. You're going to also capture activities that you recognize you need to perform, but that you might not be performing right now. The next thing that you'll do is you're going to spread all of those index cards across a really large flat surface, usually a table, and you're going to group any tasks, those tasks that seem to be similar in nature. So right now I'm holding up uh, index cards that have A1, A2, and A3. So if we were looking at this on a table, we would literally move index cards around until all, all of these tasks that start with the letter A are grouped into one column. And you're going to mm -hmm. repeat that exercise until you have, I would recommend no more than nine distinct columns of activities that are all similar in nature to each other. The next thing you'll do is you're going to say, okay, I've grouped together in this example, we have again, A1, A3, and A2. And you're going to put another blank index card, preferably a different color above it. And you're going to give those activities uh, there's going to be a name of a department. So in this case, we just kept it simple. We're saying, okay, these represent department A. It could be marketing, your marketing department. Oh, these activities represent our finance and accounting department. These activities represent sales and marketing, HR, IT, so forth and so on. Once you have organized all of your tasks into departments, you've identified what those departments are, now you can actually start to assign roles to each activity within those departments. Don't assign the role that's currently doing it because the person who's currently performing that role may not be the ideal person. And this is where you're going to really see just how much work you as the owner operator are performing. So let's just say here again, I'm in department A, I have task A3, and what I'll challenge everyone who's listening to me right now to think about is, in a perfect world, if you had access to all of the resources that you needed, who ideally should perform this task? It might be you right now as the CEO, so I'm, I'm holding up a little stick figure here, and it says CEO. <laughs> Heather's laughing. Um, people get a kick out of these stick figures. So it says CEO, right? But you and you, you, you there's some self-evaluation and, and, and introspection. And maybe even if you have the benefit of having a small team of people around you, they may say, you know, Desmond, you're doing A3, but really it should be an office manager who should be performing this task not you as the CEO. Here's what can come from this exercise. This is really starting to lay that the foundation for that business infrastructure that we're talking about. Because now that you know all of the tasks, the departments, and the people that you need to take your business to the next level, now you are in a position to create more succinct and transparent job descriptions. You have a foundation for creating your organizational chart. You know roughly how to organize digital information, for example, using a tool like Notion. So Desmond and I both love Notion. All of my Notion workspaces correspond to the departments of our company, right? Same thing with your paper records. Your processes, I want to make sure, I, I, I don't want to leave this out. Within each department, again, you have all of your tasks that you've identified. Start to further group those tasks together into individual processes. For example, if you have identified an accounting, pro, uh, excuse me, an accounting department, you might have one task that says, send invoice to client. 
another task that says deposit payment and yet another task that might say uh, send payment reminder notification. You might look at those three tasks out of all of the tasks that you've identified for accounting and say, you know, if I were to group these together into a process, this really would be an accounts receivable process. And just from identifying some of those tasks, you already have an idea of what you need to include in that accounts receivable process once you're ready to start documenting it. Again, this is all about laying that structure putting everything in order, the, the Lego pieces in place, as, as Heather said earlier at the beginning of our conversation, mm -hmm. this is a way to do it. And it, it all starts with your index cards and stick figures, baby. <laughs> and yeah, sometimes the simplest way is the, is the it's best. It's analog. Way. And let me tell you something. I'm working with adults, right? I'm not working with children. But I cannot tell you how many people get excited when they see this because it's tactile. It, it, it encourages engagement. It encourages conversation that you may have never had before with your team members. And it's quick. It's very quick because it's one thing to, to get onto a meeting and you're just sitting there and you're trying to figure out, oh my gosh, what are, well, what does our company look like? And, and it's just, you can get stuck and it can end up being an ineffective, unproductive exercise, but using this methodology. So I'm going to plug my book here. If I may go get yes. behind the facade, how to structure company operations for sustainable success, because here's what's, what's interesting and different about the book. It's truly a how to book. It is going to talk through these exercises step by step, but it's in the form of a story. So it's not, it's not a typical, well, Heather, the first thing you're going to do, step one is you do this, and step two, you do that. No, it's telling you the story of these entrepreneurs and these fast, grow, fast growth pains that they are experiencing, and they're trying to navigate and work around, and they meet a consultant who teaches them how to start to implement some of these exercises that I just described. So check it out. It's a good book. It's an easy read. It is not one of those like, okay, um, I'm going to do my 10 pages. Say, no, like I sat down and read the book. Oh, Here wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm big for that. <laughs> I like so Heather, Heather, is an, Heather is an exception, everyone, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an easy, it was an easy read. Like I, I love to read, like I'm an exception in that, but it was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a read. Your eyes aren't going to get blurry. You're not going to lose your place on the page. Mm. It's an easy read. You can, you can feel into it and get into it. So that it keeps your attention. Unlike most books on and anything business related or most of them are pretty dry. Not gonna yeah, lie. they are. I like, I like Harry Potter. So if I like Harry Potter and you can keep my attention, we're doing good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. <laughs> I, got yeah. some, I got some homework to do, I guess, because I'm like, yes, man, I love all this. I'm definitely <laughs> not an operations guy, but this is great. Um, the note card thing, that, that was awesome. Um, I actually might be doing that with my team. I'm going to send, if you all would like some, some, some of these cute little stick figures, let me know. And I will definitely send some to you. Of let course. me know. Amazing. Obviously. So, <laughs> so, so other than the, so other than the book, um, you know, how else can everyone else find you? They would like, Hey, I just want to hire you. Come solve my problem. Um, my business is like, we're, we're, we're in a crunch. We need to change our operations. You know, how can, how can these guys find you? Sure. So if you want to connect with me personally, um, I'm very active on LinkedIn, as well as Twitter. So please find me there, Alicia Butler Pierre. You can also go to my personal website, aliciabutlerpierre.com. And when you go there, it's sort of a, a hub to everything else. So you can link to the book, you can click through to the podcast, as well as my company, Equilibria and all of my social sites. So anything or any way that you would like to connect with me, if you go to that website, that's probably the best place to start. 
That is perfect. Oh. All right, you guys, we're going to put all this stuff in the show notes. You'll be able to find Alicia. Alicia, Oof, I did it. I knew it's I was okay. going to do it okay. during the podcast. It's, it's all good, Heather. It's all good. And you guys, this is, this is what we're talking about when we talk about like really, truly building a business isn't, it is not being famous on Instagram. It just <laughs> isn't. Like, Preach. We, we Preach, talk about Heather. conscious, effective, on-purpose capitalism around here. And if you're going to build a business, you got to put in the sweat equity. Yep. So connect with her and check out, I, I'm telling you, just buy the damn book. Okay. <laughs> buy the damn book. And we will see you on the next spot. Bye. Wow. Bye.